No Simple Road is stoked to have Sunset Lake CBD back with us as our sponsor. Sunset Lake is the real deal. If you've looked around trying to find CBD and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do, this is the place you need to go. They've got every kind of product you can imagine, including CBD tinctures with sleep gummies that are great for getting to bed, CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews that can help bring you a little bit of calm in a stressful day. They've got salve. They've got smokable hemp flower that's great for folks like me that don't want to get stoned and paranoid, but want to have the benefits of cannabis. Well, now you got it. And they even carry CBD products for your pets, man. I'm saying this is Darwin approved stuff. Go over to sunsetlakecbd.com and check out the full range of what they have. This is Vermont grown right to your door and they're giving you 20% off. So put in the promo code NSR20 when you're checking out. You're going to get 20% off your whole order. And I know you're going to love it. They even have subscription options open for you. So you don't forget to get your medicine. Go check out Sunset Lake CBD, everybody. You just got home from work. It's been a long day. Yeah. yeah. You don't feel like cooking anything. Nope. Nope. You know what you should do? If <laughs> you're in Denver or Portland, you should go check out Fire on the Mountain, man. You know, this is like amazingly done, locally sourced, all good food that you can just sit down and love. It's that simple. The best damn chicken wings you ever had in your life. The b- I'm serious when I tell you the onion rings are something are to be colossal and amazing. So listen to this. I love to read sometimes little blips about what they have on their website because it's great. We're not just famous for our wings. Try our sandwiches, vegan wings, True. awesome salads, or a serious legit pizza at our Fremont location. Our fries are hand cut. Our bacon is the thickest we can find. Bacon. Bacon. Oh. Bacon, bacon. Oh, got it. Our ranch and blue cheese is made in-house God, daily. So we bread every fried pickle and onion ring by hand. And, of course, our wings are always sustainably sourced and cooked fresh to order. That is something that we haven't mentioned. So they have deep fried pickles, but like not like you've had... Not the pickle nickels. They're no. pickle spears. It's it's an experience to eat at like a mm-hmm. dill spear deep fried. And you bite into it, it's like juicy pickle juice. It's They're so damn good. And it doesn't have to be a weeknight when you don't feel like cooking. It could be on the weekend. It's a great place to go grab a beer, hang out with your friends, go have a good time, get some good food. And hey, it's the Grateful Dead family that owns this place. So you're supporting the family. Yeah. And also supporting the NSR family yeah, as sponsors. Family and when sponsors. you grab one of those pints of beer, that's coming from their own brewing company. That's right. Yeah, that's that's some seriously fresh, delicious beer. So And ciders too, man. So go check out Fire on the Mountain. Two locations in Denver, three here in Portland. And if you're not in either of those places, go to portlandwings.com. Check out all the sauces that they have. Order yourself some. Sit down, listen to No Simple Road. You can have a party, and it'll be a party in your mouth. Fire on the mountain. Our friends over at Shop Tour Bus have an idea for you. What's that? They said they think that you should order all of your Christmas gifts from them. Whoa. Yep, you absolutely should. If you are a Grateful Dead fan or someone in your life is Grateful Dead adjacent and you don't know what to get them, go check out shoptourbus.com or at shoptourbus on Instagram. What you're going to find is the coolest Grateful Dead inspired merch on the planet, on the lot, off the lot, or anywhere else. And this is done with love and intention. 
with all over printed boxes, all kinds of extras in the box, and they are even sending out Grateful Dead bootlegs with the order. Some yeah. of them, wow. you're gonna, some of you are going to get miracle. And I want to just say a happy seven year anniversary yes. to Shop Tour Bus. They shipped out their very first one on 10-31-2016. Damn. Congratulations. And they have been with No Simple Road longer than any other sponsor. Almost since the beginning. Yeah. And also, also happy 50th birthday, Luke. Oh, oh shit. It was wow. Luke's birthday? Oh, yeah. On the 31st, he said they're celebrating a lot of things around there this week, and it was his 50th. The five, you're, wow. you're in the 5-0 club with me and Aaron now. Yeah. Welcome, wow, welcome to the club, brother. It only Aww. gets better from here. So, yeah, everybody, make Luke and the roadies over at Shop Tour Bus. Make their day. Make Luke's birthday month for them. Get yourself some Christmas gifts over there. And when you check out, put in the promo code No Simple Road. You're going to get free shipping. That's shoptourbus.com. Boom. Hey, everyone. Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters here to let you know that my podcast, Inside the Musician's Brain, is back on the airwaves for season four, which means it's time once again to get deep with influential musicians from all across the musical landscape to really understand and translate the lessons of success, failure, inspiration, and hard work that are behind the music and the artists that we love. My guests this season include Rachel Price from Lake Street Dives, Sam Bush, Chris Wood, Chris Funk from The Decemberists, Lindsay Liu, MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger, and more. Check us out, and thanks for listening. We're so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They are a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Music Masters Collective events give you the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Otil Burbridge, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, former members of the band, the Mel Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, the Fab Foe, and Sean Colvin, and so many more. At an event like the Milk Carton Kids Sad Song Summer Camp, happening this July, you can expect immersive classes, evenings of entertainment, excellent food, and a space for a lucky group of folks to learn, co-write, workshop, and perform with like-minded peers, all with the guidance of Kenneth Pattengale, Joey Ryan, and some of their favorite songwriters. This all-inclusive week in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available, and spots are extremely limited. So visit www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple to learn more. That's www.sadsongssummercamp.com forward slash simple. Check it out. Family, what's going on, everybody? We're back. It is what is it today? Well, today's Wednesday. 
But, but, but what it, day is it in podcast land? Friday? It's Friday. Friday. Yeah. Hey, Friday. it's Friday. November 4th. Yeah. yeah. I hope everybody is having a, a fantastic fucking Friday. We are, we are getting ready to uh, go see Green Sky Bluegrass. Tonight. I spent my Friday doing laundry, making dinner, and doing a bunch of banjo practice. You mean, you mean your Wednesday? No, this is my Friday. Oh, yeah, this is her Friday from work. I yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. It gets confusing. I know. I'm, different I, schedules. <laughs> Man, you know, and check this out. We got something really cool for everybody this What's week. What's that? We have author Paul Justison on the show hanging out with us. Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. He is the author of the book Lost and Found in the 60s. You can find it at your local bookstore or online on November 8th. It will be out on the 8th. And I encourage. And he wants people to go to the bookstore. Yeah, I encourage all of you to read this. I'm going to read you the back of the book because that tells the story pretty good. Paul Justison dropped out of high school in 1966 and fled to Haight Ashbury, spending most of the next two years there and in Marin County, engaging in all the pleasures and follies that magical time had to offer. After the 60s ended, he went to college, started a career, and raised a family. He's been published in The Rumpus, The Gambler Mag, Flash Fiction Magazine and Fiction on the Web, Lost and Found in the 60s is his first novel. And let me tell you something. This is a um, quite an adventure he it's went through. Super fun life. Yeah. He lived it up, literally. If, <laughs> if you ever wondered what it was like to live in the 60s in the Haight-Ashbury and become an LSD chemist, yeah. this is the book for you. Um, it came to us through his publicist i obviously this is his first book so we hadn't heard of him and he's super rad you guys this this conversation was super fun yeah it's just a sweet guy and telling his story and he's um in the middle of writing a second book and he he's just so proud of his baby he was yeah, like you yes. know and the from the artwork to the content to everything that he all the collaborations and his daughter reading his script <laughs> which you'll all hear um it was just like really fun interview and so glad to be able to help promote paul's work yeah it you know that's one cool thing about doing no simple road is finding out about stuff like this i know it's not music related but it's definitely Grateful Dead, family, lifestyle related. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but like holding the actual copy of a book is comforting to me. Oh, yeah. It's the only way I can read. I can't do the Kindle thing, the online. I can't even do audio books. I need the book in my hand. um, If I read on a device, my eyes start to hurt. So I'm like you, Apple. I need a book. Yeah. And he's all about it. He he wants everybody going to the bookstores to buy the books. And and I get it. And, you know, being involved in the jam scene, there's a lot of crossover from the 60s especially with the grateful dead and everything sure. and like, i always wondered what it was like to grow up in the 60s and be a part of that and especially the the hate scene like i remember when we very first went on the road with the dead that was like one of the first places that we went because it was so iconic you know yeah. what i mean and oh yeah this this book really lays out the it, you feel what it felt like to be there and you get an entire picture of what it was like for somebody growing up in that time with like 
the way it was with sex and drugs mm-hmm. and, and the, the liberation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we live in a different fucking world well, now. Man. And I, I like the way he decided Absolutely. to do this too, as, as a fiction book yeah. instead right. of nonfiction. Yeah. So there, you know, it, it's based loosely on things and people he knew and some not. And it pulls it together for a great read and a look at what happened. Then the nostalgia of that era ties the whole room together. Yeah. Right? And then the nostalgia of having that book in your hand, that book that I've always said to you, I worked in a library and the smell of books. Oh yeah. There's something about a fresh book when you crack. Even like an a, old book. Like a fr- yeah. An old book. They all, they have a smell about them. You hold it in your hand. It's nostalgic. Yeah, man. Could so a, could a book hold like diseases in it? What? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like no. something I hope not. I hope wow. not. I mean, mean I like, guess could the germs so. get trapped yes. inside the pages. Yes. Of- Yes, like an old book. Because uh, okay. we just I'm mentioned just an old say, book, not no, Paul's because, book. No, because <laughs> they would have to attach to something. But I would could they I would, be like dormant? You know what I mean? Like, and it's like a it's like a time bomb. You open it up. You open it up. And it's like ah. Well, you wouldn't necessarily. Or, wow. Yeah. Don't. Right on, Mel. Okay. Sorry. Debbie so, Downer. So you don't have to worry about that. This is a new These book. These books are clean. This one. So I'm boom. sorry, Paul. Now I'm gonna have to research that and Paul, see. We can oh. take this whole nope, bit out if nope, you want. No, we're leaving that in. That's staying. Yeah. Can books have diseases? I was just curious after you said we said old books. Okay. And I just. Had a vision of like, you know, like um, like in Hocus Pocus, like you open up the magical <sighs> book and it's like now you've unlocked something. A genie, and, well, I think a genie could definitely live in a book. It doesn't think, have to be. I think when you open up Paul's book, maybe something cool will pop out. Some spirit of the '60s will pop it, out. It definitely will pop out into your head. That's for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> we are going to get you to to the interview, but first we have to do the business of No Simple Road. And then we're going to get you to the interview. So follow No Simple Road on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at No Simple Road. Go to www.nosimpleroad.com. There's No Simple Road merch there. You can sign up for a newsletter. You can get terror readings there. I'm doing it fast. And you guys are going to see why here in a minute. And then... um, what else? 971-808-1524 is our tepid line for you to call in with the recipes, ideas for the show, um, you know, cool things that are happening in your life, some, you know, trivia, anything you want, 971-808-1524. Yeah. And I'm going to back up because it is the holidays and tarot readings are a great idea yeah. as a gift for somebody. So if you got somebody that's hard to shop for and you don't know what to get them, Get them a tarot reading from us, man. We'll hook them up and we'll make them super happy with the Grateful yeah. Dead tarot and if you And if you're a constant listener, you understand what that means to us here at No Simple Road and especially what that means to Aaron and Mel. Yep. Yeah. And it is a very special thing. Yep. So uh, also you can become a patron and help support the show at patreon.com forward right. slash No Simple Road. That is how we pay for all this shit. Two episodes a week, doing all the yeah. things we do, all the stuff. That is patreon.com forward slash no simple road. And to all of you that have signed up in the past, you fucking rule. We love you. Patreon is a thing that's out there for a lot of platforms that that's how, that's how you take care of the people that you love listening to and help them keep things on track and help them grow. And then, which a lot of people like to do. If uh, you want to do something really cool for the show, you can leave us a review on Apple podcast. You can do that. Yes, you can. You, you can leave as many stars as you want. That's right. Mm-hmm. Five, four, three, two, one. Yep. But we, 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 uh, what's the word? We I'm aim. For? No, there's a, uh, we I want. Can't. Wow. 
uh, we enjoy. I keep, th- I keep wanting to say approve. <laughs> That's not the word I'm looking for. Appreciate. We, oh, appreciate. Yeah, the five stars mostly, but uh, yeah, I, I love the five stars. So okay, I like as many stars as I can get. If yeah, you listen I, to the show all the time, you you understand that we're going really fast through the business right now, and there's a reason <laughs> for that. We're not going that fast. So. We got three reviews yesterday. Which is no, awesome. oh, no, we got three reviews over the past weekend. Yes. We got a, two on Sunday and two one on, on yeah, Saturday. Two on Saturday, one on Sunday. And there we go. Yeah. In the history of No Simple Road, we've gotten one negative review on Apple Podcasts. And we still and talk they, about and, it. And we still <laughs> talk about it. They said we were gushy and unprofessional. And I fucking love that review. It's one of my favorite reviews. But we got one yesterday and it, it chapped his it ass. It chapped my ass, man. <laughs> It really did. And there was two beautiful reviews that it was sandwiched between. Yeah. And it's just the f- fucking bothered me all day today. Okay. Well, first of all, I have to explain how it happened. Um, I was doing a treatment on my scalp and I put on our, our quiz show because I wanted to listen to our quiz show. If you haven't heard that, it's funny. And um, something immediately told me to go look at the, how many, you know, our reviews. So I did and I didn't see it right away. And then I read the first one and I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. And then I scroll and I see the second one. I'm like, oh my God. So I like run out and I'm like, Aaron, Apple, we got a bad review. (laughs) (laughs) Literally is what I said. I was like, guys, and I go, hold on. And I, I went out and I read it. And so why don't you read it? Why don't you read it? Apple? You want me to read, okay. yeah, read it? You got it queued up. All right. So, and like, and like Mel said, this is, it's awesome. Cause it's, it's like an Oreo. It's sandwiched between two incredible reviews. So we'll start off with a bad review from MKNJG. Really bad. Two stars. Which, which, first of all, that just gets me really bad. Two stars, like it'd be a one star. But anyway, four to five minutes of visit our sponsors, 10 minutes of buy our merch, visit our Patreon. What a great show we have. Leave us a five star tarot readings for sale. Really? Mm -hmm. The NPR interviewing style is annoying. The entire thing is disingenuous. At least try to convince us you're not shills. Is this a joke? I missed the punchline. If you have a brain, you will too. Save your time and scroll on. So that, I'll just say one quick thing since I read it first. It's like, that's, I don't even really take that as a review. That's just like being harsh, you know, sorry, we're not your cup of tea, man. Move on. Hope you find something you like. And, I, I'm not trying to be a bitch about it. Like I get it that that people get bad reviews and stuff, and that's fine, whatever. But have you listened to any other podcast, my friend? Whoever you are, like they're sponsors. They seem friendly. And, and here's the other thing: like, yeah, we promote ourselves. That's that's a strange, not really a strange thing to promote yourself in no. in this world of doing stuff and. Wanting to get paid for your passion. And not to mention, hmm. this show is about promoting whoever's on the show. <laughs> it, it, it's yes. literally a show about promotion. So. Well, and that too, right there, I judge our success by what our listeners say to us and by what our people have, that have been on the show. When people are wanting to come back on the show and constantly express that they had such a great conversation, 
that's what matters. Yep. Oh, so, hey. it's it's hard not to um, get our our feelings involved in what we're creating. It's like somebody putting an album on and like this shit sucks. Don't is put it in the toilet. Like, okay, that's valid. People are you're allowed to critique. That's totally fine. But there's feelings and we have them. Yeah, I just uh, what I was thinking was like, hey, motherfucker. Why don't you make a podcast and book it and travel for it and do all the back end work and edit it and do all the shit. Maintain relationships. And then come back and leave another review after you've done all that. (laughs) Or shut the fuck up. But then. okay. But then you are completely entitled to your opinion. And we are not for everybody. So no, neither. Okay. Just no. like just like what we do, the jam band scene, the the Grateful Dead wasn't for everybody. No, nope. no, it's, you get it or you don't, and and that's cool. The one thing I like about this review is at the end, it obviously moved on. Good. So yes. you know, peace be I, with you, brother yeah. or sister. So well, the the cool thing it is, brings up a th- uh, but it brings up something because that was one review amongst we have like over three hundred reviews. Well, yeah, and it brought to mind the saying that I learned in the cable business is one. Oh shit. Cancels 10,000 attaboys. And so then I said to Aaron, like we're supposed to care as much about the, Oh shit. As, as much as about the attaboy, meaning like, well, you can't let either of them affect you. Cause one is going to go to your head and then the other one's going to stab you in the heart, mm-hmm. you know, and Just keep on trying. You have to appreciate when people say stuff to you, good or bad. And, just move on but it fucking hurts and that's a real thing like i think that sometimes critics out there um whether they're doing something amazing or not like on their end don't take into consideration how painful words are (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's again like it's not like you're not entitled to it we ask for your opinions we literally ask we say Leave us Leave a us review. Leave us a, rev- a and review. You yeah. so thank and you, you do. I, I think I said last week, even if it's bad. Yeah. Right. Well, and, there you go. Yeah. And, and we got it, but we can also re- rebut it. Yeah. We can re- refute it. Not refute, really, but you know, just like con- converse about it and let everybody know how and, we feel and about hey, it. Hey, and address hey, it. Hey, yeah, yeah. We sell tarot readings. Yep, sure do. Yeah, anyway. tarot's dope. Well, Continue well, on. You know what? The one last thing I would... My last thing and then... Anything I have to say to whoever is listening, listen to the Nathaniel episode. Then come back and And, talk. and then come back and, and leave another review. And mm-hmm. and the the, the bad review thing comes to mind because you were just watching it in the living room other, the other oh, day. The movie Chef. Chef. Yep. I love. When he goes his, off on the critic. Yeah, he comes to the restaurant and he's like screaming and fuming. He's like, you're not going to get to me. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get to He loses his shit and is so fucking funny. And, and sad. And, and, yeah. He's like, it hurts. So, <laughs> your then, words hurt. But then here, here's the cool thing. So you heard that and thank, thanks for your review. Thanks for yeah, your review. Thanks love you. Making, so, what is it? Making. Well, wait, here, let me, I'll GJ. do the shorter one and then you do the longer one. <laughs> Okay. So this okay. is what it's sandwiched between. Here's another. Here, this is a Saturday review from KWKELSO. Quick Kelso. Love this show. Five stars. Listening is such a treat. These guys are spreading the love and the interviews are great. I love listening to this podcast. Super chill and full of entertaining interviews. And then there's another and then, one. <laughs> and the tagline for this 
is as good as it gets. All right. Mm -hmm. This podcast has quickly risen to the top of episodes that I look forward to every week. The team is as real as it gets. Aaron, Mel and Apple have a way of making you feel like you're in the room with them, catching up with old friends, honest discussion and great interviews that give you a real sense of who the artist is rather than only what they do for a living. The recent move to two episodes a week was spot on. I love catching up with the NSR fam as much as the interviews. A refreshing and inspiring podcast that is full of laughs, life, and love. Aw. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, MYTK421. You know, I think MYTK421 said it better than we could have for that whole rambling shit exactly. we said in the beginning. Thank you. Yeah, the first part is just us getting our feelings out. Yeah, and, and honestly, my feelings hurt. this is why you guys who repeatedly listen to No Simple Road, why you come back. Well, it's because, wait, it's because we're honest with how we feel in the moment and how we, like, we talk about stuff that's, like, hard on our family or hard on us in the moment. And so there's weight to it. And people appreciate that when you share that with like just openly and balls out. That's like the most compliments that we've ever gotten is like talking about heavy stuff. So this is one of those times when we're just going about our day and we got our feelings hurt and we're talking about it to our No Simple Road family. Yeah, And and we're not going to be all pissed after this. No. And <laughs> the thing of it is, is what you all don't know. I mean, maybe you do, but like this show is us like we're no different when the mics are off as opposed to when they're on these aren't personalities but this is us yeah we didn't create a series and (laughs) and this show is like a a direct representation of the three of us it's if the three of us were one person it would be no simple road so it's hard not to take that shit personally and it's just funny that those other two reviews came at the same time. And you know what? In the grand scheme of things, who gives a shit anyway? Really? Let's be honest. We're just working through yeah. our humanity like everybody else. We got a thumbs down and we yeah. got sad, sad about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Give me a hug. Anyway, so thank you. To all three of you. Yeah, thank you for the reviews. Because that gave us one more review. Yeah, appreciate (laughs) it. And uh, that is the end of the business. Yeah. I really, really hope that you all enjoy this. And I really, really honestly hope, it's not disingenuous, that you go and buy the book. Because the book is super dope. And the artwork on the the cover is super dope. And um, yeah, man, it's a... we had a great time with him. He made me smile from the moment we logged on to Zoom and we saw him chilling Sweetheart. there. Yeah. All right. Is there anything we're forgetting? I think that's it. Other than, well, we went through the business, but like we always say, oh. the easy thing is opening your mouth and telling somebody else that you like our show and hopefully they will too. Yeah. And also today's oh. Friday. So we rode to you, rode to you, rode with you to work on Friday. We'll be back on Monday with another episode to ride with you to work on Monday to hold your hand on the scariest day of the week going into work. So yeah, that episode on Monday is just us hanging out and talking about life and doing our thing. So come hang out with us. We'd love it if you came and sat at the table with us. So yeah, without further ado, the no simple road crew gives you Paul Justison.
right. Hey, Paul. How you doing, man? Pretty well. Good to meet you. I'm Aaron. Aaron. All right. It's and a then pleasure. I'm Mel. Paul, nice Mel? to meet you. And I'm Apple. Thank you for joining Apple. us. Apple. Yes. Okay. Aaron, Paul. Mel, and Apple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Paul. Well, thanks for being here with us. Thanks for even wanting to come on the show. This is awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love your studio. Well, thank you. Thank you. We have, this was a, I would say this is a positive product of quarantine and COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We got a studio out of the deal. (laughs) So you're with us today because you wrote an amazing book called Lost and Found in the 60s, correct? That's right. That's me. (laughs) So I'm just going to, just for fun, for the people that are listening, I'm going to read the back of the book for everybody so they know what we're, what we're talking about. It says, uh, Paul Justison dropped out of high school in 1966 and fled to Haight-Ashbury, spending most of the next two years there and in Marin, Marin County, engaging in all the pleasures and follies that magical time had to offer. After the 60s ended, he went to college, started a career, and raised a family. He's been published in the Rumpus, the Gambler Mag, Flash Fiction Magazine, and Fiction on the Web, Lost and Found in the 60s is his first novel. Well, let's start with congratulations. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So can you tell us a story about like the genesis of the book and what what made you decide to step out on the ledge and write a book for the first time? Um, Well, I always wanted to write uh, since I was very young, since I was the age of the character in the book there. Um, But I only had these half started projects. I'd start (laughs) something with a lot of energy and I wouldn't get very far and I'd drop it. And that kept happening. And then actually about, I'd say 2013, around there, my kids who were at that time already almost in their 40s, said I should write down what happened back then. So there would be a record. And I think like what I later learned was what they really wanted was just to me to write down that I, I met their mother at this point, that I lived in Haight-Ashbury then. They just wanted a okay. historical Bullet points. <laughs> but I thought, wait a minute, that's my idea. There's something I really know, and there's an iconic time in American history that ought to grab people's interest, and it grabbed my interest. Right. And so I finally had a project that I would sit down almost every day and write. Wow. Wow. And I started that. I think I had the first full draft in 2014, uh, but I was rather naive. (laughs) It really (laughs) wasn't yet all that good. Uh, And so it took a long time. It took the next six years to polish, to edit, to work with editors uh, to where I got a contract. And it's with a Portland publisher, uh, Unsolicited Press. Um, And I was very happy when they called me to say they wanted to publish it, but then they had the kicker, they said, but you have to agree to our schedule. We have a number of books in front of you. And so in 2020, I was told my book would come out in November of 2022. Well, now that's next month. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, so we actually got an advanced yeah. copy. Okay. I, I yeah. thought it was already out. Well, I guess that's double congratulations. What's the what's the actual birthday of the book going to be? Uh, November 8th. Wow. Okay. November 8th, okay. actually election day, but I guess... A lot of presses regularly put out books on Tuesday, and mine happens to be Election Day. Well, all right. that's exciting, yeah. Paul. Yes, I mean, it is. first of all, 
I think everybody's got a story to tell, but this is particularly juicy. And I think you could maybe settle a, a conversation that we were having last night. We went out to a concert last night, and when we were getting in the car, we were discussing if we thought that this was autobiographical yeah. or if this was fiction. <laughs> or, a, or a healthy or mix of both. <laughs> well, let's say the um, the main character has a lo- serious resemblance to me, <laughs> but not everything that the main character in the book did that I do. And there's a lot of things in my life I didn't put in. Uh, I actually, I, I guess I should take, digress for a moment on this. I uh, originally started to write a memoir. Okay. Uh, but after a while, I realized I just wasn't comfortable doing that because there were some people back then that were very close to me, and I just didn't feel like writing up everything that happened in their life. And if I didn't yeah. write about them, then it was a whole chunk of the book that wouldn't be there. Right. Sure. So I, I said, well, I can write fiction. That will give me much more freedom, uh, freedom to play with the timeline a little. Because believe me, even back in the day, in the height of the 60s, there could be boring stretches. Right. Well, I don't have to write the boring stretches yeah. in the book. So I could play with the timeline and I could try and increase the dramatic tension by, well, uh, leaving out the boring bits. Yeah. So, well, so, um, thanks for that. So it's, it's a novel that's uh, where the main character has a lot of my traits, but um, not everything the main character did, did I do. Okay, that's fair. I I love books like that. What were we gonna say? Uh-huh. Well, I was just gonna say that makes sense to me. Like thinking about it, like like a lot of time remembering what you did in the '60s too. It kind of gives you as a writer the ability to embellish a little, and, and you know, having it be you know fiction, you can embellish a little, but also put parts of your life in there. You know, yes. it leaves it more open because who was this says but you can remember the 60s you weren't there like that famous <laughs> saying so so that I, I love the way you did that it gives you like creative it's creative writing you're able to go in many directions and embellish without like your kids going oh bs you didn't do that and it's like it's fiction kids <laughs> or is it <laughs> or yeah or is it <laughs> well i think one thing i really tried to do was to make it historically accurate yeah. Okay. I don't think I put anything in the book that didn't happen to somebody. Okay. So I, I think you know, it was a realistic depiction of what happened back then uh, with the boring bits left out. <laughs> yeah. So, Paul, I'm, I, I get that this is the time, the period of time that you lived in, and that's why it's, you know, the subject of the book and everything. But I'm curious what your opinion is as to what makes the 60s so special? What do you think it was that has captivated the minds and the hearts and the spirits of people all over the world for so long of that bit of time? What what was that secret sauce? You know, there was, I, I'm going to botch this quote, but it's a quote by, I think of all people, Vladimir Lenin, who said something like, Decades and decades can go by with nothing happen. Mm -hmm. And then there can be a year with decades and decades happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was so much that was happening in the 60s. The civil rights movement, you know, had been going on, had been prominent for a while. It was on the television constantly. You'd see uh, black, mostly black protesters uh, being bitten uh, by dogs and uh, police 
pouncing on them with clubs for nothing but nonviolent protesting. Um, we had the Vietnam War going on where for the first time, really in any significant way in American history, there were a lot of people that didn't want to just sign up and go fight. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it, so people's minds were changing about uh, America's place in the world. And should we be telling other countries what to do and going in and uh, creating civil wars there? That was on people's minds. The uh, beginnings of the green movement were starting. Mm. Uh, there'd been the book by Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, about all the poisons that were in our atmosphere. And people, there were lots of people beginning to feel we needed to pay much more respect to nature. There was the beginnings of the organic movement. Um, at the same time, uh, LSD, I mean, marijuana had been around a while, been around in the urban experience, whether in the black ghetto or beatniks. Uh, but LSD came on the scene and the LSD for a while was actually legal and it was easy to get. Um, and that uh, completely changed lots of people's minds and uh, um, feelings about how we should fit into society. And so a lot of people heeded the call of uh, Timothy Leary. Tune in, turn on and drop out. Oh, and yes. Lots of people did, uh, particularly in, in the Haight-Ashbury and in other parts of the country. There were smaller little Haight-Ashburys all over. Uh, I know there was a tiny one in Tucson, which I sort of reference in the book. Mm -hmm. And there, there are others. There was, I know one in Denver. I know in Portland. There were smaller scenes. And uh, the other thing I'll just mention as an aside that made it also possible, it's so different than today. Rent was cheap back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it was totally different than today. I mean, people can easily spend half their uh, paycheck on rent or maybe oh, yeah. more. Oh, yeah. Back then, it was it was nowhere near that. Uh, it was just, it was easy to get a place. And Haight-Ashbury was quite cheap at the time because uh, white flight had happened from the city there and people had left. And it was pretty, I mean, I, I, I cannot remember exactly what I paid in rent for one room in a big flat. Uh, with a lot of friends, but I think it was no more than 30, 40 bucks a month. What? Wow. Wow. That really does change things. That opens everything up. And, you know, what you're talking about this, like, basically is a cultural upheaval that happened. There was a, a sea change in the perspective of consciousness and thought in the country at that time. And in, like you said, in no small part to psychedelics coming on the scene and beginning to change the minds of the people living in this country. And in the book, there's a healthy, I'm going to use a terrible pun, a healthy dose of, uh, <laughs> you know, discussion about that. And, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the main character and his um, journey into the world of LSD manufacture and, and whatnot? Um, okay. Um, Without incriminating yourself, of course. <laughs> well, I think the statute of limitations are well done. <laughs> Ran Perfect. on that, yeah. I think I'm okay. Allegedly. Maybe that's why I waited this long to write the book. You're right, gotcha. Uh, but... Um, well, Marx, in the opening scene, um, actually in the, in the second chapter, in the opening scene of the second chapter, you see Mark, he's uh, in high school, 
and he's cleaning up his, his after his experiment and make a point of that because Mark, Mark was a rather careful kid. Okay. Uh, he was very much anti-war. He was very much, he leaped into the counterculture, but he also had some traits that made it easier for him to uh, become a distributor of LSD. <laughs> he was very careful. He was very observant. Uh, he was just aware. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, as a young kid, he had this heightened consciousness before he became LSD. But because of a, a very difficult upbringing, he had learned to just be aware of his environment mm -hmm. because he'd often been put in difficult situations. And that's one thing I try and bring out a little bit in the book from some flashbacks. How did this kid be able to, to uh, uh, function as a, a high-level dealer yeah. because he learned how to be very calm in difficult situations and be very observant. Um, and I just got lucky there back in the day uh, before there were tablet machines, you know, which would take LSD powder and put it in, make a tablet out of it, firm tablet. The only way to distribute LSD was to make capsules out of it. Chemists would make LSD and it would, the actual LSD itself would only be like a gram. Right. And then you'd have to buffer that out. And people would do that with special mixers, buffer it out with whatever filler powder you're going to use. But then you needed a group of people to put it in capsules. Oh, I mean, what are two people doing that would take forever? Right. Yeah. So we had what were called capping parties. <laughs> okay. And I got recruited to one to help put the LSD in capsules so it could be distributed and sold. Uh, and it the party uh, malfunctioned. <laughs> As those parties are wont to do, I yeah, imagine. It, it malfunctioned. And... Uh, I this this is actually a, a true relatively true story. I've embellished a little, changed it a little in the book, but it actually happened to me where I was just one that was more careful. Uh, I wasn't getting the powder on my fingers. I was rubbing it off, and when everybody else was completely stoned, the only functioning person left was me, and I just <laughs> had a little bit of buzz. So I just cleaned up as best I could, and then eventually I met the chemist. Oh, who was wow. kind of impressed that I cleaned it up and hadn't made it a total mess. And so that's how I got invited into um, um, working with some LSD chemists, helping them move their quantities and distribute it out. In so you so, literally wow. passed the acid test. <laughs> and got through <laughs> when yeah, everybody I'm else was high. Yes. Well done, Apple. That was good, man. But Paul, uh, what was, I wanted was, uh, to, I wanted to ask, what's the the vibe in there when you're all doing that? Like, are y'all excited for what you're doing? Like, yes, you're you're doing this incredible feat, or is it just like kind of like you know lackadaisical? Like, what what's the um, energy of of that kind of a um, environment? All right. Well, I only did that once. Okay. And the environment there in the beginning was just very relaxed and calm. It really was. Everybody was just smiling. It was like, I think everybody had in their mind, hey, this is really a fun thing we're doing. And when we're done, because each of us, that was a deal. I forget how many we were going to get. We were each going to get so many capsules. That was our, okay, our payment. Pay. Yeah. And we're yeah. like, wow, we're going to do this and then we're going to have, you know, fantastic. Well, I, yeah, I just asked because it seems like what after you've done LSD, 
it's almost like you want to let everybody know about it. It's this amazing thing. And so I'm wondering like if there's like this sense of like, you know, greatness that you feel like you're doing something good for the planet or your community yeah. or the people. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I thought we, we all thought we were doing something good. We felt very safe. I mean, that was an, that's a side note. Let me come back to, um, we felt like we were doing something really valuable and we were going to get something out of it. We were going to get our five or 10 caps. Sure. Right? Um, and, uh, it, it was all fine for a while until I just saw, I mean, our, our host, the guy who organized mm -hmm. forgot to give us gloves. <sighs> and so people were getting it on their fingers and, mm. and it was, he oh. made a mistake. He was stupid. And the rest of us were all, I mean, I guess all first timers too. I don't, I don't ask everybody. Yeah. Uh, I was actually filling in for someone else who was supposed to do it, but couldn't. Uh, so wow. it was, it was total luck for me that on my first capping party, it, uh, it descends into chaos because everybody gets stoned and then I meet the chemist. Wow. You know, that the other thing I just wanted to note yeah. back then at that time, uh, and this would have been late 67, I think, um, uh, or middle, middle, late 67, the police presence in the hate was very limited. Um, I mean, they would patrol in uniform down the street and cars would drive around the neighborhood but this the whole scene was totally new for them mm. how did they get into it how, how oh. did they get their presence in and get their intelligence right it was ah. it was they, they didn't have a way of getting in yeah. i mean you cops can probably masquerade as certain kinds of people but to all of a sudden come in and be a believable hippie <laughs> good <laughs> luck true <laughs> so for a while there was very little police presence and people just felt safe. Um, but that didn't last forever. Yeah. Well, yeah. did you find it difficult to convey that uh, feeling when you were writing about living in the hate in the book? Is it, is it difficult as a writer to convey that feeling of what you just explained? Because that's a very particular kind of thing to live somewhere where there really is no oversight, no rules, you know? I'm not sure if I conveyed that as well as I could have, mm. but I think there are certainly glimpses of that. Um, and I think now that you asked the question, I don't think I ever put it in my mind that I had to convey that, right. which you're right, is very important, but I just tried to convey the scene as best I could. And, and I, I think it comes across. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, for sure it does. And, you know, back to this, I don't want to talk about capping LSD for an hour, but no, I'm, fas I'm fascinated <laughs> by this. I Well, it's I, fascinating because it's changed our culture well, or, it, or it was such a big part of it, I should say. And so nowadays there, you'll be hard pressed to find somebody who lived in the sixties who wasn't either immediately or kind of sideline directed by it well, or, yeah. or affected by it, I and, should say. And it, that particular molecule has had such a deep and profound um, impact in my life. You know, this, we wouldn't be doing this without that uh -huh. period. And I had the opportunity to see uh, pages being dipped before. Oh yeah. Um, it's somewhere in San Francisco and back in the late eighties, early nineties. But, um, 
I have never seen the uh, actual like you guys were working with crystal and powder. Yeah, it's only very small. Yeah, and so from my understanding, I mean the grain a grain of salt sized piece of that. If you get ingest that, you're on you're you're going places that day. So to be <laughs> capping Handling. with no gloves on. It's just like, well, what the at hell, least man? Then, at least by that point, when we were capping, it had been buffered with filler powder. Okay. So it wasn't that pure. That, okay. uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, yeah. So- no, it's small. I, I, there was, <laughs> I actually remember a story. A friend of mine, um, <laughs> um was waiting for a gram of acid from, uh, uh, let's call him a colleague. <laughs> and the uh, colleague had forgotten that he was supposed to deliver it and had gone to Big Sur and left it in his pants uh, because it's just small. And you could put it in uh, Reynolds wrap or tinfoil, just wrap it up. And it's Graham. That's that's what he did. And he, um, he, he disappeared at Big Sur for a few days uh, going to uh, – hot tubs and things and uh <laughs> he didn't resurface for a couple of days when he realized put his pants on and realized he still had this gram of acid he had to deliver oh, oh, whoops oh my gosh man it, it it's so some crazy things happen. yeah it's amazing to me that anybody made it out of the the 60s <laughs> <laughs> so, so you said that you have children oh yes so how did how did that affect your parenting or how did that contribute to your parenting? Just being alive in that time, having the adventures that you had, how did that prepare you for parenthood or how did that, you know, infiltrate your parenthood? Well, um, so a couple of things about parenthood for me, uh, one, I had awful parents, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay. awful parents. And, and I think one way that we can learn as humans is learn in the reverse Mm-hmm. And one thing I realized when I started having kids is I did not want to be a bad parent. I had to be a good parent. I just yeah. could not do that same thing to a young human being that I brought into the universe. Sure. Uh, so that was there. Uh, at the same time, I'm sure there were many people who stayed actively in the counterculture and raised good kids. Mm-hmm. I also, though, saw a lot personally, of people being really bad parents. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They just weren't, they were too focused on getting high and not enough on parenting. And maybe you can do both and some people can, but that sort of pushed me away. And I, I, my wife and I sort of retreated from the counterculture. I mean, we still had the exact same values. We still uh, vote in a way that's extremely progressive, Uh, but we backed away when we had kids. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I was, uh, so focused on wanting to raise them right. And, um, I, I did fairly well. Um, uh, one's a physician, one's a civil engineer and one designed semiconductor chips. Oh, and the God. last one lives in Portland and is a, a middle school teacher. Oh, uh, congratulations. So I, I did well, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, I, I never left in the heart or my soul, the counterculture. I just, 
uh, retreated okay. to um, make sure I could really focus on raising my kids. We understand. Yeah. Well, we, that, that's a good brood, right? Four children to yeah. raise and everything. Well, well done, yeah. sir. Well, thank well, you. No, I just think that it's so interesting because I know that I was a very young mom and I had, I was raised without my dad. And so my mom's a single mom. Things are hard. She wasn't superwoman, you know, like, so that there was a lot of things in my childhood that would have been, could have been better or that I would have changed. But at this, like you were saying, like you can learn from many different ways. You can learn from somebody showing you what to do. And you can also learn from somebody showing you what not to do. Yeah. And I, I I had the latter, (laughs) you know, and I, I will say this, that until I started to experiment with psychedelics, um, I, I I was very rigid as a parent. I, I wanted to be really good, but I was I realized that I was also very rigid. And psychedelics freed me up to not be so square, you know, internally. Even though I, I was young and I you know, I think I'm progressive thinking and stuff like that. But psychedelics really helped to change a lot of the ways that I would have responded because I don't think that I had those skills yet in me, you know, I just, because again, I was so young and, and I didn't have a lot of life experience that way. I had parental experience at 16. I didn't, I wasn't going across country. I wasn't going to concerts. I wasn't meeting new people, but I feel like psychedelics brought experience to my life and it helped me to be more patient and tender and understanding. Do you feel like you've had any of that, like in your um, parenting from psychedelics? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think I've, I've really tried to um, uh, open myself up to each of my kids and be aware of who they are as, as, as a person, yeah. uh, not as a son or, but as that specific person. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think psychedelics is one way that's, uh, my mind has changed forever. Uh, it's changed forever that I'm just open more widely to a situation. I'm opening more widely to a person. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I, learned as a parent is, you know, I had to I show my love for each kid, but I had to treat them each differently. Sure. Uh, not unfairly, but just treat them differently because they're different. Yeah. Different people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think psychedelics, yes, I think that hope would make my awareness uh, more um, grounded. Yes. Mm. It's kind of odd to ground my awareness, but to keep it really there front and center for me that I'm, that I'm open to the world. And in fact, I just want to add one thing. You have an advanced review copy. And so on the back, you don't have something uh, from James Fadiman. Uh, do you mind if I just no, take a not moment? at all, please. Lo- yeah, I would oh, love that. This is fascinating. This is great, man. Yeah. I love this. Like, I it, have. Yeah. I, w- I want to just give a note to uh, James Fadiman, who okay, James. helped me a lot with this book. And he's one of, I think, he's the probably the founder of the microdose movement. Oh, wow. Um, He was a graduate or whether he's a graduate student or a postdoc, I forget, during Haight-Ashbury. And he was actually there working on some experiments, uh, not as the not running the project, but as an assistant. And he was was very aware of what was going on back then. Um, uh, And he was involved in psychedelic research until the government put a stop to it, I think, in the early 70s. 
I, I forgetting now okay. when. I think it was but late, since late it's 60s. become more and more open and more available, he's definitely one of the fathers of the psychedelic movement. And uh, I got in touch with him when I was writing the, the book mm -hmm. and started sending him drafts. Uh, and actually, I sent him a whole draft. And I guess he's a late night guy because I'd get up. I'm an early morning guy, or I am now. I used to not back in the day, be, <laughs> right. but I am now. Same. And I'd get up in the morning. I'd look at my email and there'd be one from him. Oh, I really like that chapter. That scene. I, I like that scene. And the next day, and this would go on, not every day, but for four or five days. And then one day I woke up and uh, there was an email from him. I'm mad at you. Uh -oh. That ending has got to go. That ending is absolutely oh, awful. Whoa. And so I took him to heart and looked at the ending I had. I said, oh, maybe that isn't very good. <laughs> and I changed it. Oh, and oh. Um, so anyway, he gave me a nice blurb on the back of the book. Oh, I'd love to hear it. You want to hear it? Yes, yes. Please. Yes, yes, please. All right. Here you go. This novel is excruciatingly accurate and totally outrageous. Justison has captured the extravagance of the time, the interplay of sexual liberation, psychedelic experiences, and coming of age that made the community so um, intense and inviting. Was drug use so extensive and casual? You bet. <laughs> Was casual sexual connecting so extensive and easy? Oh, my, yes. <laughs> the 60s, including its dark, scary, lonely, confused reality is all here, as well as the ecstasy, the kindness, and the sharing. Aww. If you weren't there, this is as close as you're going to Whoa. get to knowing what you missed. The 60s, the people, the vision, enjoy the trip. Wow. wow. That's high praise. That's that good. Is. Wow. Yeah, I thought, wow. So yeah. maybe, yeah. you know, maybe you it, did capture that feeling, you know, especially, you know, with what he's written. Maybe you did capture that feeling and convey it of that the freeness and the, like you said, the ecstasy, the excitement of it all. Cause when I was reading it, I, I got excited about it, especially the first chapters, you know, like just kind of getting to know you and the character. It's like, it's an exciting, I've always been fascinated by the sixties, but so it was like exciting to hear. And like you said, it was semi-autobiographical, biographical, but um, still like fun, you know, like, yeah. it, you know, something that I wonder is that a lot of authors, when they're writing books, they talk about the characters as if they're alive. Like it's a, it's an actual person and that, that, that they've like not birthed it, but this, this person is part of them or somebody that they actually know. Did you, I, I understand that this is loosely based on reality, but like, did you find that? while you were writing the book that the main character became alive for you and, and you were just as interested in what was going to happen with him as somebody reading the book would be. Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think I couldn't have, I could have written it if I didn't have the characters moving around in my head, mm. you know, yeah. I didn't imagine them in scenes, you know, it's not like, a, like, like perhaps 
use a modern uh, analogy, like it was had a video game <laughs> moving them right. around. Sure. Uh, but you know, I had I had them moving around in my head, particularly because um, all the other characters but one are composites. Uh, none of the other characters are directly real. Um, I, I purposely did it that way because I didn't want to. Um, Oh, single anybody out. And it gave me more freedom. Right. Um, there's there's only one character that's uh, virtually herself in there. And that's the um, character early on in the book of Lauren. Okay. Um, that's actually a, a, a woman uh, who I, I <laughs> uh, who grew up and uh, became what's called the Duchess of Hemp. Uh, she she wow. um, inherited uh, some wealth and uh, used a lot of the money to help fund the uh, marijuana movements across the country. Her name was Patricia Stewart. Um, and she read the book and loved the character in there, which was her. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, but she passed away two years ago, very sadly, uh, at the end of 2020. Uh, but that's the only character in the book that really, besides the main character that uh, corresponds to anyone, actual or living. And <laughs> wow. getting that email from James Fadiman, you know, about the ending of the book, I know that I, I'm a creative person. I, I love to draw. I write a little bit. I do this. like, And I get very attached to the stuff that I create. I it, I love it. And it's, you know, it's part of me. Was it difficult for you to, like, pull up stakes and wipe the chalkboard clean on the ending? That's That's a big deal. I think it might have been really hard for me for any other part of the book. But I was least attached to that ending. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I was, okay. I, you know, perhaps some of me already recognized maybe that wasn't the best. Um, and I think actually, as I, I'm writing some other things now, uh, I, I think that may be my weakness, <laughs> the ending. Just wrapping <laughs> it up. I think that I'm not unusual <laughs> amongst authors. Okay. I'm, I'm not claiming to be among the greats or anything, but I think it's a relatively common thing that authors have trouble dealing with the ending. And um, so, no, I, I wasn't as tied to that one. And okay. I think I had struggled to create that. And it was probably good he told me the way he did because that helped me get over it quicker. Get <laughs> just straight to the point. Well, like, that and, yeah. and coming from somebody that you respect. And that was there. Yeah. That was there. And, I mean, that that's like I said, the high praise because who's going to be able to criticize that unless you were there and yeah. lived that or like, hey, man, you got it. Well, in, and also in the spirit of the book, this character is evolving and changing. You know what I mean? As, as you go through the story and you are doing that as well. I mean, you're this being your first book. Now you are an author. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that, that's a, huge accomplishment in anyone's life, yes. especially as we get older to like reinvent ourselves and become something we never were before that we always dreamed of being. And it, how does that feel? Well, it feels great. And thank you Aww. for describing it so well. Because thank you. It is something I always wanted to do uh, and was frustrated for so long. Uh, but then I did, I, I accomplished it. You got it. Uh, and uh with a lot of help, uh, too. I have to say there are so many people that helped along the way, and my kids supported me. Mm. Uh, one of them read multiple drafts. In fact, it was kind of, I have to relay this short story. Yes, I, I was so naive early on. I, I'd, uh, 
get a draft, and then I change a little and print another one. I mean, I you know I didn't need to print every time I made a few change, <laughs> but my my uh, oldest daughter was reading it, and so every time I'd print a new one, I'd go over it and give it to her. And I assumed that what she was doing all along was just picking up where she had left off in the new version rather than uh, – but she was starting over from the beginning. Oh, <laughs> and oh. when I realized that, I said, oh, oh I'm so sorry. I, I didn't bring her another version <laughs> finish. Uh, but I had, I had many friends that looked at it when it was very early, and I've actually thanked them for putting them through that suffering because <laughs> it was very early. I, I – I think the um, the other thing I'll note here is I'm half Finnish, uh, and there's a the national trait of Finland is called sisu. I, I can't uh, I don't speak Finnish, so I, okay. I may have murdered it, but I think that's somewhat close sisu, um, and it doesn't translate readily, but it translates something like this: Never give up, dig in, you will win. You keep going, never give up. That's the national trait of Finland, wow. and so. Uh, the other half of me is Irish, and that gives you the gift of the gap. So <laughs> between those two, <laughs> I was able to come out with this. Well, that, that sounds but, like a guy that will never If you're going to publish anything, persistence is absolutely critical. And um, Heck yeah. so, uh, so, Paul, I was gonna, go ahead. Huh? Well, I just said the other thing. That's why I grabbed the book for a while. The other thing I want to talk about, going back to, like, the 60s movement and what was so important about it is captured, like, on the cover of your – like the artwork by Catherine Gerhardt on the cover. I, I caught the end of the city. I was born in 69, which to younger people, I'm like, yeah, you know, I was born in the 60s. <laughs> but I remember like the artwork, the renaissance of art and everything that came out of that growing up in the 70s. Some of my earliest memories, my sister was five years older than me, is coloring, you know, we're little kids in the 70s and we're coloring these psychedelic posters <laughs> that you had back then yep. so it was very much part of our childhood even down to like the the like all the macrame stuff coming out and all that i mean yeah. and the kids shows sid marty yeah Croft. oh yeah the psychedelic yeah hr puffin stuff and all the stuff <laughs> i'm just wondering, like like your take on that because i mean you saw it like half i mean one day it's kind of normal mid 60s and then just boom to this day the it, it has influenced every po Every artist, every poster we have hanging on our walls from shows, it's to me, it's one of the really huge things that happened in the 60s also. And this is a beautiful cover. Oh, yes. No, this cover, um, uh, unsolicited, uh, and Catherine uh, wow. sent me oh, four or five covers in the beginning. And, uh, you know, I, I passed them around friends and family, say, what do you think? And none of them excited anybody i mean there was one i love but it had nothing to do with a book it was this beautiful psychedelic rooster <laughs> uh, it was beautiful i loved it but you know i couldn't i wish i could have gone with it but i couldn't see what it actually had to do with the book other than it was a psychedelic rooster uh in fact one person that well we'll leave that one aside okay but, uh, so then i wrote back to them just carefully going what i liked about each one and then sent them a few other posters from the day including some peter max work oh okay uh, and then she came back with this one i said oh that's it it's that's it it, it yeah. reminds me a little bit of let me see yeah definitely it reminds me of like um yellow submarine yeah. Yes. yeah, very, very reminiscent of that style of art. And I think that 
landing with this was the right choice for sure. Yes. It, it you know, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but let's be <laughs> Everyone honest. Everyone does. Let's be honest, man. Come on. That is the that's what pulls me into every book I have ever bought was the cover, unless I knew advance what this book was about. But yeah. No. It, it attracts you, doesn't it? Definitely. Yes. And I want to go back to the, you know, later in our lives, finding the thing that is our passion. You know, I'm 50. We started No Simple Road five and a half. Am I right? I'm terrible at this. Five and a half years ago. And this whole thing was the result of my son actually buying me a microphone for father's day and being like, dad, you guys are always talking about music. You should start a podcast. And I, so I never had any aspiration or I never thought that that was a thing that I wanted to do. But once I started doing it, I quickly found that all of the experiences and um, talents that I had all kind of converged in this one medium and I found that I felt the most myself and the most comfortable doing this thing. And it was very um, liberating to finally at 45 years old, figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know? What I mean? <laughs> and, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's changed my life. How, how has writing the book changed your life? Oh, well, um, I think it's, I think the main thing it's done, to be honest, is it's given me more confidence to write the next one. Oh, that's great. Uh, and uh, there's something else I, I really want to work on. It has to do with uh, a family dealing with dementia. Uh, I have some, I'm not going to go into details, but I have some experience in that. Uh, and I think it's um, an issue that many families in, all over the world. I mean, not yes. just in, yeah. in the United States are dealing with these days. Um, and so uh, it's almost like back to the book, back to this book. Um, this was a real crucible. The 60s were a real crucible for me. Uh, and um, and it was also, you know, it was so exciting for that reason. So I could uh, get my creative juices flowing into this project. It wasn't mm -hmm. hard to do at all. And I've been really affected by the dementia of somebody I know very closely. And so I think it's something can also draw my creative juices out. Yeah. And I think having the experience uh, with Lost and Found in the 60s and having found a real publisher unsolicited and right. so not doing it on my own, I, I think that's given me a lot of confidence to try to keep going. Isn't that and funny? Uh, I think that's what it's really uh, done. It, you know, I'm not looking for fame or anything. I'm... Uh, uh, in fact, you know, I'm, I'm rather uh, out of the limelight kind of guy, but um, but doing these with with great people here is fantastic. Oh, so no, I'm I'm, uh, I'm feeling very happy of having the affirmation that yes, I am a writer. Isn't that strange that we can get that at you know at any time in our lives that we can our perception of ourselves can change or our definition of who we are and what we do can change so dramatically and and that doing like you're saying writing the book has now given you the courage to do more 
that you know what I mean? This wasn't a one-off. This actually is the genesis of something for you that you don't even know what it is yet. And that is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and that's powerful. Yeah. What were you going to say, Apple? Oh, I wanted to ask something. I'm probably going to mess this up, and I just read it earlier this morning. Looking up, I saw a little interview with you, and it was asking, you you said your nemesis is an untroubled mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the, the whole quote is my nemesis is a is is a is an untroubled mind. I just found that interesting. Like I, I I get what you're talking about. I think, but it was like an untroubled mind. In other words, like is it a kryptonite? To, yeah, it's your kryptonite. That yeah, was it. Your it, kryptonite. kryptonite. Thank you. Yeah, yeah your kryptonite is an untroubled mind. Which I yeah. take as a writer, like like and if you have an untroubled mind, it's just kind of like beep. You know, have a lot going on in there. Well, I think, you know, I'm trying to put myself back when I said that, but but I I think to me what it means is in this world we live in, there's an incredible amount of problems out there. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, that's one of my frustrations right now is, you know, I'm a a granddad. Oh, congratulations. Oh, yeah. Well, number six times. Oh, wow. Seventh on the way. So good at it. Yeah. So (laughs) I. You know, I, th- I think about the world that leaving my kids, uh, my grandkids, and um, and it- it's very depressing at times. Yes. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't give up hope. I always want to have hope. But, you know, the kind of things we were seeing in the 60s, um, you know, we, we not the 60s itself, but as it followed on into the 70s, we stopped the Vietnam War eventually. Yeah. We did. Yeah. I mean, uh, Nixon really made the decision, but we 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 pushed for that. Yeah, we pushed for that a lot. With, without that push, it wouldn't have stopped. Uh, and I thought we were moving towards a, a world with no wars. <laughs> we would have nothing but wars. I mean, the beginnings of the green movement, but now we have climate warming that's really quite uh, profound and affecting Everything. regions all over the globe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm. Uh, how should I say? I forget now. The, oh, an untroubled mind. That's right. An untroubled mind in a quiet morning. I, I, I just had to look back. I found it. I still had it pulled up. I like that. Well, an untroubled mind in a quiet morning, I can be, you know, conducive to writing. But I think if you, you don't have an untroubled mind, that you're going to have a troubled mind in this world because there's just so much going on that's very problematic. <laughs> you know, um, over like the last few years, I was like, oh, I'm like, sorry, I didn't hear you. No, I was just going to say that over the last few years, there's been um, lots of protests and stuff with the pandemic, all these kinds of different things. In the 60s, those protests seemed to be a lot different. You know, do you recall the or one, were you part of any of those protests? And do you recall the energy around them? And and how how do you feel like they differ since like how we do things now as far as protesting? Well, uh, I was, yes, I wasn't part of a lot of protests, <laughs> many, uh, and still some uh, uh, coming up to our, our present time, not, not yeah. as much, certainly since the COVID, but I've attended other marches and I've uh, written letters to the editor uh, about political uh, issues of the day. Um, I think for me, the most uh, telling thing is, the protests, particularly around the Vietnam War, which I was uh, in many, they were all very peaceful, mm. extremely peaceful. Um, and that changed uh, in 68 at the Democratic Convention. Right. Uh, 
uh, where uh, the police were horrible, but there were also some elements on, on the left that were there that were being provocative, that were making a bad situation more difficult. Mm. I mean, that was the beginning of the weather underground. You know, these people were coming to the marches with football helmets and things on. Right. I mean, they were coming there for, for a reason. Uh, and so to me, the change to the violence um, didn't, didn't help anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it made matters worse. Um, and I know there's extreme amount of uh, frustration on the, um, the situation we have in this country. But I, I think that when it turns to violence, it just uh, creates a backlash and yes. uh, creates more problems. Uh, I, I really, I, I'm really, I've always been committed to nonviolence and I'm still that way. Um, so that's one re way I think pr the protests have changed. They, they do get into violence too yeah. quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that's happening too, which we didn't have much back then, uh, were counter protesters. Oh. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, that didn't just didn't happen much. I mean, somebody may yell at you from a passing car or something, but you didn't have a, a group of people coming out and harassing you and yelling at you while you were marching peacefully against the war. And that kind of thing happens a lot today. Yes. I know in Portland, there are counter demonstrators that may be bigger than the demonstration. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like the and, message and gets lost changed. a lot. That doesn't help. It's the other part of the climate here. We're so much less respectful of other people's views. Yes. Uh, and I'm not trying to pin that on anybody, but yeah. it just seems to be a, a general condition that there was a little more tolerance of other people's views back then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I just asked because you have the advantage of, of being back there and seeing the time. Cause you know, like as we get further away from the sixties, there's less and less people that are going to remember those times. We're going to have to read about them more. And with things being not accurately, um, portrayed or even accurately like written down it's hard to find these people that are that have been there and were like no it actually was like this or no that didn't really happen this is you know it was portrayed this way but it actually went down that way and what I was saying earlier like the way that the protests happen now it just seems as if the message is lost where back then in the 60s you were marching for the, you know, we don't want to go to war. We don't want this. But we these days, peace. I can't really think of what the protests were about more than just like you said, that it's like more of a riot as opposed to a protest, which is a bummer because it seemed as protests, like you said, they eventually worked. It, it, it helped to kind of put these issues out in front of the people that could do something. Now we're yeah. just trying to stop the fighting. The forget yeah. about the message that was being mm -hmm. protested. And so it's just kind of like, it seems like a missed opportunity. Well, that, and also that's, what's important about books like this that you've written is that it's giving us an accurate, mostly accurate representation of the climate and a snapshot in history that could otherwise be lost to sensationalism yeah. or, whatever you know because the 60s is easily sensationalized because it was a very exciting yeah. you know time so yeah. to have you sit down and give your um yeah. A, yeah account of what was going on even though it's fiction it's filtered through your experience and you you even said in the beginning of our conversation that you tried to be as accurate as possible with what you put down so it helps to keep the historical record clean you know what I'm saying? Yes. 
And that was one of my goals here as well, uh, was that I had not seen um, any uh, fictional or non-fictional detailed representation of the hate that really showed how, how it was mm -hmm. uh, and how it was on a daily basis for the people living there. I hadn't seen that. And so that's why one of the reasons I wrote <laughs> yeah. this, yeah. to actually show that. Well, how, how was it? And it was it was very um, romanticized. I I know for me, like I went to my first Grateful Dead show in in eighty nine, and from that point on, was immersed in that culture of the Grateful Dead world and music and all of that, and even did some time like on the road in a school bus, following the band around the country. But the hate itself was always very romanticized, especially because that was the birthplace of the Grateful Dead and the San Francisco music scene. And I remember going there as a 18, 19 year old kid and feeling like I had like almost like going back in time. It was, there was so many stories that I knew about the place and so much, history of the you know 710 ashbury and this is where the diggers used to be and you know all that kind of stuff that it was very exciting and and romanticized and and to see your portrayal of what that was like was fascinating to me well thank you yeah it, it's it it's a i think it's something that can never happen again what, what went down there it was beautiful and that yeah i kind of doubt that it could happen again no one of the things again that i mentioned the rent oh <laughs> yeah. my god yeah, yeah that'll never that's happen just, i'll take 30 dollars a month oh. that would be amazing <laughs> i don't remember exactly what it was but you know it just wasn't that much i wasn't you know it didn't take that much of my paycheck to pay <laughs> so you know with we talk to musicians a lot and a lot of the time it's when they've come out with a new album or an EP or a new single or something. I always like, I don't usually ask this question, but I always think it, I wonder what their hope is in putting this thing out. What's your hope in putting this book out? What's your like intention? Well, my hope is, uh, uh, two things really. Uh, one is, uh, to fulfill something you just said, uh, which is to give a wider audience a feel of what it was actually like mm. then, mm. to re really ground that in society so that people, a wider group of people see, hey, this is what it was like back then. Mm. And it was a different way of living. And uh, things don't have to be exactly the way they are now. We can, we can experiment with different ways. And the second thing is something selfish. <laughs> uh, completely selfish. I want to sell enough copies, which is probably about five, ten thousand, so that when when my next book is ready, that literary agents will actually listen to me. Yes. <laughs> they'll, they'll read my email yeah. because if you, excuse me, that's what happens with uh, when you're trying to get a book published. They look at how much your last one sold. Oh yeah, that's the first thing they look at. And so I'm just being selfish. I'm writing another book. And I want enough sell to sell so that the literary agent looks and says, oh, I should read his email. <laughs> <laughs> well, two things. First thing is it, when that book is finished 
you are we want you to come back on it doesn't matter if it has anything to do with music or 60s or any of that if whatever it is we want to help you promote it uh, that's awfully nice of you yeah thank you and i mean I, i'd enjoy that yeah and and the second thing is can you tell all the people that are listening where they can go buy the book where they oh, can yes. find out about it so that we can help you sell the five, 5,000 copies. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, uh, I've always loved bookstores. Mm. I like bookstores. Yes. And one of the reasons I did not want to self-publish is because you it's almost impossible to get your book in a bookstore. Mm. I mean, it can be done, but it's difficult and you probably pay end up out of your own pocket. So, Lost and Found in Sixties will be available in any bookstore yes. in the country. Yay. If they don't have it on the shelves, the terms with my publisher, with the bookstore are such that they'll order it gladly. Okay. So okay. any bookstore in the country, uh, and there's a, there's, um, that, that's my, my preference. Is there, yeah. there certainly the book will also be available any other place books are sold, but my preference is walk into or call your local bookstore because we need to patronize them. They've yes. had hard times during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I like bookstores. Well, so and, and my... It's kind of like bringing it back to the sixties. You couldn't buy a book online in the sixties. Let's go back <laughs> and go to the in, bookstores. Yeah. Exactly. And have the experience so of like weird. grabbing the book off the shelf and like looking at the cover and being excited and proud to go home and read it. That's, it's one of our favorite yeah. places up here is to go to Powell's books up here, you know, legendary Powell's books downtown Portland you know you can get lost in that literally we've all gotten lost in there and it's hard to find your way out I know in Portland that both Powell's and Annie Bloom's will stock it okay yes fantastic so is there a website for the book or no oh yeah there's a website and it's simply my name uh, www.pauljustison.com and let me spell that out go for it p-a-u-l-j- U S S is in Sam T I S O N Paul Justison.com. First page, you'll get the little blurb I read from James Fadiman and uh, another blurb from uh, Wendy Martin, who's a professor of American literature who liked the book too. I was really proud of that one. Someone specialty is American literature, like the book. Uh, <laughs> and there's some pictures of me back in the day and there's, a more description on where to buy the book. Awesome. Uh, there's a link to something called Indie Bound, which will help you find your local bookstore if you don't already know where your local bookstore is. Um, <laughs> so that's is my website. Time. And again, the book's out actually officially on November 8th. Uh, that's when stores will be able to display it. And I actually found word too that some airports will carry it. I know the Ooh. San Francisco bookstore in San Francisco airport will have it. So there are many places where it will be. Uh, and again, any bookstore will, if they don't have it, will gladly order it for you. Paul, I just wanted yes. to say too, um, one, yes, congratulations on the book, but um, coming from, you know, hard parenting and maybe not the best parents, um, congratulations on being such a great dad and raising your children to be, well, you know, I'm just talking about the kids at first, but like <laughs> just having that um knowledge in yourself to want to change it and do something different for the next generation. And it, it ended with you, the, the bad parenting or that. And that's really awesome to, and inspiring aside from the book. So I just want to say thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's actually one of the things that's made me very proud for a number of years that, uh, uh, 
I didn't repeat the mistakes that were, that I, I grew up with. Yeah, you and should then be I did proud it very of that. differently. Absolutely, right on, Paul. It it has been an absolute pleasure. Yes. yes. <laughs> thank well, you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and like I said, anytime you want to come back on, please just let us know, and and we'll do it again. And we'll let you know when this is coming out. It's time to shill, Apple. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's go. Let's do it. Shill for the company, bro. Let's go. So. One of our fine sponsors, plus the place that employs me at my day job, is Define Premium Cannabis. That's right. We have two locations, one in Hillsboro, one in Forest Grove. What? Yeah. If you come out there and visit us, we will take our time and we will get you... Uh, Whatever like, you want. Yeah, we'll get you suited with, no. with, <laughs> with, with what you need. Well, I just did it yesterday with the customer that we were having a hard just time outfitted somebody. getting her her right medications. I got her finally the right balance of gummies she needed to take, and she was so happy Aww. and loyal customer from here on out. And that's our job is to gain you as a loyal customer, keep you coming back. And when you come in the first time, you got to make sure you say, I am a listener No Simple Road. You do it like this. Hey, I listen to No Simple Road. What do I get? I'll be like, you get a 10% discount, you plus you get a free t-shirt. Free t-shirt. And, well, you know what? When you come in, you're probably, we're probably going to hook you up better than that. Also, probably for the next month or so, uh, if you're in the area, come visit. We're having a blowout on all of our tinctures and lotions. So we, we got tinctures for stuff. We got tinctures for... Oh my gosh! I just did the pricing today. Tinctures are like sixteen dollars, normally thirty or forty. Whoa, we man. got lotions at ten dollars and fifteen dollars, normally at like twenty and forty. Go stock so, up, man! Yeah, yeah, we're doing a holiday blowout. So come on in to Define. Make sure you say you're a listener. You'll get that discount. You get a T-shirt. We'll throw stickers at you. You're gonna walk out happy. You're gonna get a lot of freebies. I guarantee that. So come visit Define Premium Cannabis. Don't throw stuff at people, man. That's not nice. It's fine. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York. A podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Okay. Yeah. So go buy some weed, man. That, that's that's that. And hey, you made it to the end of the episode too. <laughs> well, yeah. Go buy some weed and well, go buy the, Paul's book. Yeah, that too. Yeah. I, I I think maybe after that conversation, all the fun we had there, uh, that this has convinced you to go to your local bookstore. Yeah, your local bookstore. You you will see when you see the cover. This this will stand out among books. Yes. Because the cover, the it artwork, looks like the 60s. it's so yeah, it is so sixties and cool. Yeah, man. Even James Fadiman, um, actually wrote some stuff on the book that's gonna be out in the bookstores. Our copy doesn't have it, but um. Yeah, if if he's weighing in on it, you should probably go check it out. It's a, uh, <laughs> I mean, you heard, you heard what it's all about. He's That's he's right. a trip, and and he's super rad, and we really appreciate him taking the time with us. And so, yeah, man, it's a, it's a crazy world that we're living in right now. It's uh, gonna be the holidays here in like ten minutes. Yeah, it's bananas. I. Today I was like, "Holy shit! It's November second. I, 
it seems like we were at Peach Festival like two weeks ago. And we were jokingly saying on this, holidays are right around the corner. And, and now we just leapfrogged over uh, Halloween. And here we yeah, go. We did. Left it in the dust. It. I don't know if it's... Because I remember when I was younger, my dad saying that time went faster as he got older. So I don't know if that's like a common thing for everybody. No, that's a common thing. My dad still, yeah, they, as you get older, that happens. Why do you think that is? I, I, I don't, well, when you're, when you're, especially when you're younger, when you're a kid, time doesn't really exist and stuff. And it, time, I don't know. It's when you get older, it becomes more precious. So does that make sense? Like no, it, it, it gets more precious as you get older. Cause you realize you've already used up a lot of your time. Time is more precious and it seems to go faster because, I mean, we're definitely packing more into our life now than we did, like, living in Vegas for a while and stuff. I yeah, mean, we're, oh, that's for sure. We're, yeah, we make, we take advantage I mean, of I was all of our a lot time. I in Vegas, though. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, we I were living a, a lot. Yeah, and, very, I, I've lived a lot my whole life. Mm-hmm. I can't even say shit. <laughs> this isn't even, like, a season. It's I'm still in it. Yeah. It's just bananas to me that, like, as I get older, how quickly a week goes by like they're so fast it's so like i monday morning i'm like oh another work week here we go monday i mean do you think it's possibly because we're more like consciousness think about it when you're young you're a kid teenager Uh you're not really aware of too much stuff yet like we were talking about it you're not like aware of other people's like space or you know preferences you're only like so self-focused that you're not thinking about time in and of itself but as you get older you're more conscious of stuff you're more aware of things and you realize that there is that time has been used but it seems to me that it's but it seems to me like i i get what you're both saying and i understand but it seems to me that if you were more aware of time as you got older it would go slower why because you're paying closer attention to it so like the watched pot never boils theory but if you're you're waiting for the toast to pop up but you're looking over a like years and years whereas a kid you're not looking really back at anything so you've seen that's true the progression of it and like dang i just turned 50 oh shit that was 10 years ago like you know what What i mean like those times because you have more to remember and recall and that you've done it when, when you're 10 you don't have that no and when you're young too you're always wanting to leap ahead in time which is weird too yep you really have no concept of time but what it when you're when you're not a teen you can't wait to be a teenager when you're a teen you can't wait to get your driver's license then you can't wait to be 21 That's true. i can't <laughs> wait till i'm 21 then 25 and then after 21 <laughs> you know 25 you get a break on car insurance and cool. things like that then after that, it, then it, then it's kind of like, oh, I should quit wishing for time to hurry up. Yeah. And I get, wish that I was sixteen again. <laughs> yeah, and then it's in reverse. I don't know. It, it and it makes me think about like Paul writing his book, going all the way back, because this is a not true autobiography, mm-hmm. basically. Like a semi-autobiographical fiction. I wanted to ask a question. What? Like if you and Apple, and I'm not going to ask it to myself, but if you and Apple had to write 
about your childhood, some stuff is going to be embellished or it's foggy. There's nobody in the world that has the most crisp memories that can put it down so accurately. Like I couldn't, I don't know that I could do it. Well, like what is it that like what is, there's a quote that's like history is uh decided like decided an agreed upon untruth. Oh shit! <laughs> like, like if enough people agree, historians are like, yeah, that's how it was. Then it goes into history, it's true. whether like, it's true or not. Like like yeah, that sounds about right. It's it's laborious, I would imagine, me- mentally laborious to go back and. I don't know, maybe pictures. Uh, well, especially when you're a kid, things so seem so grandiose when you're a kid, so much bigger. So, yep. like, just the like one example I think is like going back and visiting my grandma and grandpa's house many years after they were gone, not going inside, but driving by. It seemed like such a big house and everything was big. And I went and I walked up in the front yard and like everything that I thought was it's such a tiny house. That's down so by weird. like down by Gorman, old Gorman High School, and it, that used to be like such. A, it was like a nice neighborhood. It was a huge house. It's so tiny, and I and everything about thing, it was small. I remember my grandfather's chair was like Game of Thrones. Is the this Iron the chair? It was just a little shitty, lazy boy. <laughs> like it was the biggest thing ever. It was the same thing when I went back to New York and saw my grandma's house when I was like fifteen or sixteen, and it was like. Oh my God. I thought it was like this huge foyer with like this sprawling and it was an older home that was, so I mean, it was, it was a nice home, like the bones, but it was like when you're, like you said, you're a kid, it felt like the Statue of Liberty is height. So to be able for, for like, for Paul writing this, going back over his whole life in, in that period, time period to be able to pull out any details is fascinating to me. I like you just said. If I was going to try and write the book of my childhood, I don't know that I could. I don't. I have like very spotty memory of that. I, who doesn't? I I could make some shit up, like you know, but it would be or highlights from like each year. Well, and also think about, about that. Think about this. Like, how often when you think about your childhood, do you think about the same exact memories? Almost all the time. Yeah. It's recurring ones Almost that all really the time. stick yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. Maybe a thing will pull another, you know, maybe something happening no, will you're pull right. another memory, but it's always the same thing. So you're 50 <laughs> years old, six years old, and you have like four childhood memories? Like what? I, no, you've got a million of them, but the same dumb ones keep coming back. I have a memory of my dad, my mom, and Not I dumb. went. <laughs> that could be cute. We were... Uh, in San Francisco, and we were staying in a hotel. My dad was doing business there, and we were there for like a month staying in the hotel. And my mom and dad weren't paying attention. I was like five, four. My mom and dad weren't paying attention to me. They were like talking or doing something. And I got a hold of a pair of scissors oh. and cut all my hair off, like all <laughs> fucked up. And I was sitting, I was sitting under the chair in the hotel room. And my mom came walking in and she, there's a pile of hair and me with scissors. And she was like, what did you do? And I was like, I, I didn't do it. A little boy came and he was brown and he, he cut all his hair off because I had brown hair. And she got so pissed 
And that was the first time in my life I remember getting in trouble. I, I'd get pissed at that little boy, too. I know. She tried to find him. And, yeah, no shit. A little brown boy came and cut his hair. Wow. Um, and I, when I, when somebody says anything about, like, what do you think about your childhood? What's a memory? That's the first thing that comes to mind is my mom. So you were there for 30 days and one day of that. Uh-huh. Like, the day before, you don't remember. Not the day after. Day. Four minutes. Yeah, of, but the day after, the the day that you left, the day that you got there. Mm-mm. Well, I have a couple other memories. Of being but do you know there. what yeah, I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a strange thing how we don't use all of our memories. Mm-mm. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about like how it is posited that our entire life's memories are encased in our gray matter like it's in our minds it's in our heads and i i think that maybe uh, you know with hypnosis and stuff you can access that maybe good psychedelic journeys can also help you and with prompts stuff like i i know i could piece together a pretty decent autobiography by just going through all the the photos that my mom and dad took amazingly through my dad was a total camera nerd through the 70s That's and so right. you literally have more so pictures of me than i do yeah and i think that's true but there's a timeline the funny thing about that too is my dad is a klutz i get it from him he's kind of goofy and he half the pictures have his thumb in them because <laughs> the way he held oh, the yeah. camera like his thumb i don't know how oh he did it gosh. but his thumb or finger would be up in the corner like blocking it out that's in a lot of the photos I love it. my mom always cracked up about that so i don't know what the point of all that was that was just a whatever yeah yeah uh, i there's something to think about time goes fast that's that and uh you know it it's cool to have a book like this to encapsulate a moment in time and give you a feeling of what it was like to actually be there and feel it and smell it. And, you know, that way be a part of it. And that way that that time really doesn't ever die. It, yeah. it stays well, alive in our minds through memories of. And, of you, and you all just heard it there. We talked about that during this interview that that was a very special short period of time that existed that yep. summer of love the the civil right like all the things that converged and then there was a small moment there that created so much that has gone on we're from there still part um, of it today without yeah. that we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now no way no uh-uh. absolutely not so it literally changed the world yep. at that short period of time so thanks paul for taking the time and doing Sharing. what you did to share that moment yeah with reflecting all of us. on your life and then letting us reflect back with you. And in case you forgot through our ramblings, the name of the book is lost and found in the sixties by Paul Justison. It'll be in all the bookstores on November the 8th. Go out and grab it, man. It's, this is a book you want an actual copy of it. You want to see the artwork on the cover and hold it and smell it. It doesn't have any diseases on it. No, like Mel was saying, this is a clean book. (laughs) You're safe. And, um, we'll be back on Monday to hang out with you. So come hang out with us and we love you guys. Like I was saying. Yeah. Have a good have a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, that too. What? What, Mel? <laughs> what? What's so funny? Time got the casitas. Okay. All right, Giggles. We love you guys. We'll be back next week with more stuff and things. Take care of each other. Smile a stranger. Safety third. Hydrate and read a book. Read read this book. It's a good book.
mechanism as well as a fear. We've traveled this road before, so we may think. But it's a tad bit of strange similarities that feed an A equal A complex. The fears of your past do not equal the perplexities of the current road. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Hi, this is Henry K host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.